VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today, we will be diving into our final thoughts on the new MacBook Pros, the Pixel 6, the Facebook Papers with Chris Bell, who's going to be joining us in a bit, all the major news. If you're digging the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes because that actually matters the most. And drop us a line at podcast at Engadget.com. We also live stream typically on Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern. So check us out on the Engadget YouTube page there. And before we get to all that news, I just want to say um, this is a special episode. 100 Woo-hoo! episodes. Woo-hoo! Wow. <laughs> I'm 100 years old. No, mm-hmm. not that was the wrong thing. I should. Yeah. <laughs> but 100 episodes. That's pretty good. We don't normally see epi- you know, podcasts get that far. So congratulations, and Ben and everybody you you. who's helped make this possible. Yeah, of course. Hey, we, we made it. It's hard to congratulate yourself. I'm not Matthew McConaughey at the Oscars. OK, so the people listening to us now on the live stream and watching mm. us, let's start with a Q&A. Let's do a special audience Q&A to kick things off and there are so many things people want to dive into. So Ben is going to collect some questions from people. But one question I just saw as we were kicking off the episode is Chiming Chung in the chat room asks, um, what is gaming like on the new MacBook Pros? And these are the ones with the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips from Apple. And um, all I have to say is, is what gaming? Uh. It's, Ma- it's Max. I, I spent... Uh, $20 to buy Borderlands 3, which is one of the few like recent games and recent within the past couple of years that can actually run like actually runs on a Mac. And uh, even on the M1 Max, um, the fastest chip, it ran like crap, right? Because that thing is being emulated from Intel over to, you know, the ARM uh, architecture that the M1 chips are based on. Uh, It was like 15 to 20 fps you know like you can't play a game like that um this hardware is clearly powerful as we'll talk about but apple also has to encourage developers to start like making games that aren't just ports of all their ios games um sure all the apple arcade games work fine because that's what they're made for they actually work fine on the macbook air as well so they don't need the most demanding hardware around um, and they look pretty good on these computers but if you want to play steam games or you know big things um Fortnite still doesn't work because of their ongoing legal legal battles with Apple. Um, All those things will not exist on a Mac. So maybe go PC if you want to do some light gaming at all. Some more general thoughts before we kick off the rest of the show. Uh, Chris Velasco in the chat is all like, happy 100, y'all. And I don't know who that stranger is, but thank you. Um, and another good general thought from Declan Flynn in the chat. What one tech idea over the last 100 episodes are we surprised did not take off? 
Hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Declan. Um, I'm more surprised things did take off. It's more like, oh, I think we're we're more skeptical than we are uh, optimistic, maybe, (laughs) on this show. Uh (laughs) I think between like episode one, two, and three, and now 100, I think it's kind of surprising how well foldables have come along. Sure. Yeah. Um, because right around uh, when we started, foldables had just started and we were like, like this is gross. Why would anyone pay to beta a device? And now they're actually becoming a little more viable. I still think I like they're that's... gross. I still think they're too expensive, but you know, yeah, sure. I, I feel like that's a pretty typical evolution path for most new types of technology though. For I think- sure. um, Another thing that hasn't really taken off, though, is like rollable TVs still aren't mainstream mainstream. That's, that's never going to happen. That's that never going to happen. Absolutely never going to happen. Yeah. It's, I've seen those, those things, things in person. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen the t- we've seen the pricing from LG. It was like, what, 50,000 to 100,000. Nobody needs yeah. that stuff. So also, it's fine. Declan, mm-hmm. the last 100 episodes is kind of a short time frame, actually. If you it's, think a little, if you give me a little further back, I can mm-hmm. tell you like flexible batteries are something I wish had taken <laughs> off, but they never really did. Mm. Graphene's been talked about for ever and like where are we on that yeah. and then i mean i science i thought fiction. qlet mm-hmm. will be in everything every every laptop by now not tvs tvs they're pretty i think more much mm-hmm. more common now than before but mm. there, are, there are a lot of computers um with quantum dot displays but certainly mini led has become the like mm-hmm. thing the that go-to has been yeah more thing the go-to which is fine because that's actually it solves the bigger problem with lcds which is backlighting whereas qled was just like here are quantum dots in your display to make colors look a little better. Like that, that was always a little bit of a marketing hype. Um, do want to say like when it comes to foldables, um, you know, they're getting better, but the real reason we were so hard on Samsung at the beginning was because they had no idea what they were doing. They were clearly paying, like making people pay to be beta testers for like a first gen product that was any other company would have you like, can say yeah, that of the not the original that. Surface Duo as well. To be honest, you can say that of a lot of things. Is what I'm saying. Like you, you Le- say Lenovo's that, dual are... screen yoga tablet mm-hmm. also yeah, was yeah. something like that. But the thing is, like, there are bad products, and then there are things that just are broken. Right? The original Galaxy. Yeah, the Fold, duos. They're both the, the original Galaxy yeah. Fold. Certainly, like when people were peeling off the screen protectors yeah, and dust yeah. was getting in Broken. the hinges, that yeah. sort of thing yeah. was pretty embarrassing for them. But like, there's also a lot of crap gadgets out there, like the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Fold. The again, but the those, original those Duo didn't fall apart. and the new those Duo. Didn't, like the hardware in those things, at least, like I think for the most part, worked. Right? You reviewed the Duo. The issue was the software, right? Mostly, so, yes. So, the Surface Duo's yeah. hardware was really nice, but uh. I mean, again, with the thing is that like, I don't want to defend Samsung too much because like it is, it was an expensive like experiment, but I feel like we use that same headline on a lot of things, right? Expensive experiment, expensive mm. experiment. I've seen a lot of our reviews yeah. go up like that because we can, we can certainly fight about that. Yeah. Of it. Uh, I don't really episode. want to fight about that. Anymore. I, I would say <laughs> like more than any other device in any re- in recent memory. I, I don't think we've seen that. And that was coming right off the Galaxy Note 7 exploding batteries to like... Yeah, Samsung I guess I don't know. I guess I've reviewed a lot like, of different things that have yeah. done that. That's probably why. Yeah, you've reviewed anyway, a lot of Android no. devices. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I have a couple of uh, banked questions. One of them is from Gijo Augustin, who asks, is the iPhone performance core and the M1 and M1 Max core, are they the same or are they different? They're, I mean, it's it looks like they're different. They're all based on like the same architecture that Apple has been kind of building up. But the the M1 chips, the way they're actually designed, um, basically they're you know they're bigger. They can fit in more powerful cores, but also more GPU cores than the the A series chips. Um, I haven't done like deep architecture dives into them, but it is it's basically like the upgrade you'd expect to power bigger screens and things like laptops. So whatever innovations Apple makes on the A series front could easily make their way over to the M chips. So yeah. They're all kind of related in that way. Okay, Sherlyn, you go. Um, no, I just you know saw a bunch of questions relating to Pixel Six that I wanted to say we'll get to in a little bit. Ah, uh, yes, but uh, I think you mentioned Josh Suchdeva, and uh, they had another question that I thought was interesting, which is how can Sony make a hard comeback? Do you think they're even trying? They, they can't. I really love their <laughs> tech and phones, but their marketing is really disappointing. What do you think about that? Uh, I wrote a whole piece about that last year, where. <laughs> I was like, I forget, That's I true. forget the, even That's t- true. the title, but it was like, um, can, can Sony ever win back its, you know, consumer electronics crown? I, I, I don't, I don't really think it can just because at right now, Sony is a company that is majority being successful because of the PlayStation and because of Sony, uh, pictures. So like, so they still have the Spider-Man stuff. Uh, PlayStation is the thing that's still making money for Sony. Everything else is kind of uh, gravy. And they also do weird things like those neckband speakers, which uh, I reviewed the first one. One of the more recent ones that they released, it seems like it's gotten better over time. Nobody needs neckband speakers. And certainly nobody needs neckband speakers that require uh, a breakout box that you have to plug in like audio connections into because it doesn't have Bluetooth. What are you doing? Um, It's a lot of stuff like that where Sony's a very old Japanese company and uh, they move slowly. They don't innovate as much anymore. Uh, Apple pretty much killed them as a consumer electronics company. So it's really all they have is PlayStation. All that's all they have. Maybe at some point they'll be able to like do something else. Um, they used to talk to me, you know, about products and stuff. And then I wrote that piece because it was their, I believe their 50th anniversary. Um, but it, it was a major. 75th it was a major like anniversary for them and sony just didn't want to talk to anybody they had no news they had nothing to say because they weren't doing anything you know so the most successful thing they've done recently is the playstation 5 and it's been super successful uh on the gaming front uh but they still can't make enough you know i, I don't think a game console can keep a whole company alive I, do you guys have any other thoughts Sherlyn? like i don't know if you have any sony love from back in the day I don't know if Josh Akdeva's question is like specifically pertaining to their phone business or like every everything, other everything. aspect that you were talking about. The phone yeah. business is where I'm a bit more familiar, right? With the Xperia phones, they tend to be like super expensive, but they have very good display and camera tech. They also they failed tend in phones. To... Yeah, yeah, they did. If if only because they they, I don't know what they did wrong there. I can't even tell you because like. Yeah. They did what people generally do, which is go ham on their expertise areas, which is for Sony cameras and displays. Yeah, why not? But I guess they just have too strong a competitor in Samsung. Also, Sony makes the sensors for every smartphone up there. Sony so makes like, the sensors uh. for everybody. But here's the thing: like, I don't, I don't know if you were paying attention to phones in like the early 2000s, Berlin, but like the Sony Ericsson stuff pre iPhone was like 
the shit, right? That that was the like really cool feature phones that you wanted. I had one. I had a candy bar one. And those were like the they had such cool tech. Um and they looked really cool too. They were designed very well. Sony had such a great lead in like mobile tech. And then the iPhone dropped. And Sony was just like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. It took them a while to like reassess and go Android. And even though they work in the components level, they produce the camera sensors and everything. Um yeah they could never quite make the the package because the iPhone was just like such a huge leap ahead of what they were doing. And even other, other companies could, could kind of come in and start building things that are just so much far ahead of whatever Sony could think of. So I'm thinking of like HTC when they started making like cool Android phones, you know um, they were the first uh, LTE. The Thunderbolt was the first LTE phone in the U S I believe, or one of the first. And then you get to like the HTC um, one, which we love so much. And you see like the culmination of smartphone design there, ideas that Apple and other companies eventually took. Sony was just like, we, we got cameras, we got screens. You I know? mean, yeah, those are for their phones. And, but then like, you, like you pointed out and some people in the chat are rightly pointing out as well, like other aspects of Sony's business do really well, right? PlayStation, the wireless headphones, the audio it's stuff. Really they do really well. Yeah. It's really just PlayStation. Yeah. It's mostly about like, but their headphones are great. I'm talking about like big business, right? I'm talking about like a thing you look at and be like, oh yeah, that's a Sony product. I want that. Um, whereas Apple a, has I killed a, them. I had a Sony TV. Holy shit. I mean, it was gift given. It to was me given secondhand. to you. They Not that failed I the in the TV. Like, go read that piece, everybody. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so in the comments, Kenny Ong mentioned like Sony phones with the Sony operating system came with a lot of bloatware, yeah. which was absolutely true. That was, yeah, mm-hmm. they didn't, they they didn't know what was up. So that uh, piece, by the way, was called Can Sony Reclaim Its Former Glory? And you can find pretty much all of my arguments there. Like you bring up TVs, Sherlyn. Do you know what happened in the 90s? In the 90s, I don't know. Sony... I'm not stuck in the past, I guess. <laughs> I, I just got to say, learn. Y'all need to learn your history, especially for a company okay. as old as Sony, because they own the CRT world. The Trinitron screens were like the top of the world for a while. And then LCDs started coming out. And Sony was like, no, no, no. We can just ignore flat screens. We've got CRTs. And then they basically lagged behind on all that stuff for the past, like for, for a long time. They never quite recovered from that. So, hey, Sony's in a lot of trouble. Go read my piece and um, let us know what you think Sony could do to kind of like come back. I don't, I don't know if it can. Not in the way that it could like overtake Apple or Samsung or anybody. And we are going to be talking at least quickly about the Sony Xperia a little bit later in this episode. Uh, did get a review unit, and I think it was Matt Smith. Matt. Who did that's a different phone. That. That uh, that's a yeah. different phone. Matt's oh, reviews okay. of the Whoops. One Mark III, and people are talking about the one, um, the new one that was announced okay. this week. Well, all right, okay. that's, but, but that is my fault, then. It's okay. That's also their fault for bad naming. So they can't name it's anything. Ah, ah. I hate the experience. One, Mark, three, mm-hmm. like what? And then if you l- write them yeah. out the numer- the Roman numerals way, it's like one, I, I, I. Like, okay, I, I, cool. I. <laughs> Their cameras are like A7R series yeah. three. Yeah. Oh, my God. I could see the pain in Sherlyn's face when I got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a total hater. I love the. Go read my review of the 1000 XM3s. They can get. They own certain markets really well. I just that, bought yeah wireless Sony. audio. So we just said yeah, and and the cameras are pretty fucking good. The cameras are pretty good. Um, yeah. They don't like own the market. Is the thing right? Like they're not. 
Well, I mean, we they effectively about pushed Samsung out of that market. Samsung was trying to make like mirrorless things happen for a while, and then they barely, make smaller barely. and tinier pancake lenses and cameras. I know Samsung, Samsung tries had to do everything. a moment, yeah. and then died. It was, also, yeah, I it was it. like a couple of years. I, I I did buy the Sony A7C, which is like kind of a miracle of a camera because it's really compact. It's a full frame sensor, so like some of that stuff is certainly incredible. But that's for weird nerds, you know, and photography professionals. It's not products everybody is going to buy but uh yeah do we have any other questions and we can move on soon? i mean we have a ton of other questions mm-hmm. but i think we should move on because people are asking yep. about things we might be talking about we will be talking about yes, later like the fragmentation of android android 12l we are that is on our list <laughs> uh it's coming i know davinja love would love can we to just talk about uh <laughs> just put it like audio of me laughing for five minutes as we talk about android 12l yeah Okay, thank you all so much for your questions. And uh, you know what? I love doing Q&As. I love doing live Q&As. So I hope to like, we can make more time for this uh, for future episodes. As always, you can shoot us your questions at podcast at Engadget.com. Let's move on to our MacBook Pro reviews, which are the things that I think people just can't stop talking about. Once once um, certain people knew I was reviewing these things, I just got a lot of text. I got a lot of like DMs about like, what's up with these computers? Are they good? Are they really worth the price and everything? And um, TLDR, I think they are. I think they're fantastic. This is the new 14-inch MacBook Pro with the M1 uh, Pro and Max chips. Uh, you can kind of upgrade them either way. And the, the brand new like 16-inch redesign of the MacBook Pro, these computers are great. Everybody, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, if you want like a powerhouse machine, if you want a machine that has like the power of a Mac Pro or like a high end desktop from a couple of years ago, these things will floor you. Um, my benchmark scores were kind of off the charts. Uh, they blew away all the Geekbench 5 scores I had this hmm. year from all of the laptops we tested. And that includes the Intel Nook 11 Extreme, which is a mini desktop running a desktop chip. Like, that is that shouldn't be happening with uh you know with chips in vaguely portable laptops. I, I think like they are they have gotten heavier in certain in a certain way. The 14 inch is three and a half pounds, and the 16 inch is but it's like 4.7 to 4.8 depending on the chip you chose. And before the last 16 inch model was I think around like 4.2 or 4.3. So these are bigger, these are thicker, they're chunkier. Um, they remind me a lot of the PowerBooks, as I mentioned last week. Um, you know, kind of the old school design from Apple, but it's kind of everything. They're so fast. The screens are beautiful. It's the Apple Retina XDR screens, so they support HDR. Uh, they have like very, very high peak brightness. They're beautifully, they're beautiful looking screens, or they all have like mini LED backlights. So you get like almost an OLED like experience from watching these. You don't get to see the stuff in a in a normal backlight you don't see that like banding you do on cheap lcd monitors they're good they're perfect they're just really really expensive the 14 inch starts at two thousand dollars uh the 16 inch starts at twenty five hundred dollars and that's kind of it right like i don't think they're replacing the 13 inch they're certainly not replacing the 13 inch with the 14 inch uh that earlier model is still available for 12.99 it's a lot slower. It doesn't have these new chips. It doesn't have like all the new ports and stuff. And the screen is worse. So that's the thing. I really wonder what they're going to do uh, with the 13 inch down the line because I didn't find that one to be a huge update over the MacBook Air M1. Uh, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Do you, do you guys do you, have any questions, Sherlyn? What do you think 
Are you intrigued by these? Do you think it's worth mm-hmm. the the price difference, like the huge jump in price that we were discussing it's not in a, earlier? Like, episodes? so this is the this is the main thing. It's not really a huge jump in price because the MacBook Pro 13 inch is still around. It is. Yes. It still exists. There was never yes. a 14 inch before. Um, the 16 inch is only has only increased by one hundred dollars. So the 16 inch so, was always a really expensive computer. Yeah. I guess what I meant to say was, is it worth the price difference from the 13 inch to the four? Like, should I get if, like, let's say I'm yeah. looking at two of them, the 13 and the 14. Yeah. Is that 700? I think dollar difference. Um, Do you edit like, like a ton of video? Do you like live and no, swim I don't. in 4K? I mean, personally, I don't. But let's yeah, say I yeah, do. Yeah. Then you think it's worth it, right? So if I edit a lot of video, I shouldn't go for the 13 inch. I think go read my review of the 13 inch, everybody. Um, it's a fine computer, but that ran the last year's M1 chip. It wasn't faster than the MacBook Air at all in my benchmarks. Uh, the only like real good thing is that one has a fan and the MacBook Air is completely passive. But if you want to do like actual work, if you want to like sit and like push out videos, uh, do 3D rendering, uh, do a lot of like serious production work, these are the computers you need to buy. And at that point, then that price is actually kind of within reason. Um, the closest PC competitor to the MacBook Pro 14 inch is probably the Razer Blade 14 inch, which I reviewed um, a couple months ago. That thing starts at $1,800. So for this level of hardware and everything, you're paying a lot of money you know, to begin with. Like that, They're within the spec of what people pay. Yeah, it seems like more along the lines of like what we're seeing from companies like Acer and Asus when they're targeting so-called creators with their creator series, like Acer's Concept yeah. D series. Yeah. Asus has the studio, the Pro Pro Studio the series. The Pro Studio, yeah. Uh, I think, I can't remember what HP and Dell call theirs. I don't know if they're making know. such well, high-end. So for Dell too, like I just reviewed the XPS 15, which I think is a good like PC competitor to the 16-inch MacBook Pro. And sure, to begin with, the Dell is cheaper, I think, for like an Intel i7 chip, um, you know, maybe comparable amounts of RAM storage. The XPS 15 is like $500 less than the MacBook Pro 60-inch. But once you start bumping up that CPU because you want a CPU that's kind of giving you the power that you would get from the MacBook Pro 60-inch, then the Dell becomes more and more expensive. Then it creeps up towards like $2,300, $2,400. Yeah, it all, I, I think there's a lot of sticker shock around these things, but if you're in the market for this hardware, if you actually need this stuff for real work, these are the prices you're going to be paying. You know, it's 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 tough out there, but these computers will last you a while. They're like rock mm-hmm. solid from what I've seen. Yeah. That's great. Um, mm-hmm. I remember you were saying that there was some questions from the chat earlier about gaming and you, you already talked about that, but like, is there anything else you want to point it out? Uh, I mean, how's the camera good. notch? I a lot of people are Camera's asking good. about that. The notch. Uh, so yeah, check out my review, everybody. I addressed all of this too, and we have a video review up on YouTube on our channel. Um, the notch, I think, is not a big deal. You see it in photos, and you're like, I don't want that ugly thing at the top of my screen. But the notch, if you've ever used a Mac before, the notch sits where the like menu bar is. So that's area. That's an area of the screen you never touch unless you're dealing with like the file or edit menu or something like that. The notch is like right up there. Um, the notch completely disappears when you full screen certain apps, which is, uh, that's nice. It just kind of hides the menu too. So you could just also just like add a black or like a really dark wallpaper. And that just kind of hides the visibility of the notch. Um, I don't mind it just because you still have a lot of screen real estate below it. Uh, you never use that space up top. And, um, 
it's a much better camera. It's a 1080p yeah. camera. So yeah, yeah, we've been asking for this for a while. Yeah. Should you should you buy this over a Mac? Like a like a desktop Mac? There are no good desktop Macs now. So yes. Um, <laughs> it seems like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're waiting. I think everybody's waiting to see. They expected to see like a Mac mini with the mm. M1 Pro and the M1 Max. And maybe we'll see something like that. Or maybe they're waiting till like next year at some point to give us a refreshed macbook air that one is still mm. running the m1 chip um and maybe we'll get mac mini along that and we're still waiting for like whatever the redesigned mac pro will be who knows but yeah mm-hmm. expect faster chips down the line at this point what apple laptops still use intel chips like are there any left i don't i have to go look at the things like you can still yeah. i believe you could still buy no you can't buy the 15 inch anymore and no you can't buy the older 60 inch too so so they're all they're all gone right fully moving except for the mac pros except for like you still have to buy a mac pro right and maybe the the older models that were right and maybe some mac minis you can find floating around i have to look and see what's available at Mm -hmm. apple store but certainly the idea is that yeah we're we're going to move entirely away from intel at this point yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. do you think intel should be worried i think intel has been worried since last year and we'll talk about that with their new chips but yeah these things are super powered super expensive um they're the mighty max everybody Mm. so if you've been waiting and hankering for an upgrade i'm looking at you ben um these are kind of the ones you got to get but also yeah expect to take maybe a small loan or pay for them over time (laughs) you know like something is that Uh, is that like your one complaint about them like if there's one thing you had to complain about is it yeah they're expensive and mac hardware has always been expensive a high-end p a high-end notebook has always like as great as like laptops have gotten and cheaper and stuff over the years if you want power, if you want like actual power for production, you got to pay a ton of money. So mm. that's the thing. You can't upgrade these because the RAM is kind of like in there in the system on a chip. So it's it's not as flexible as maybe a PC mm. laptop would be. But if you get what you pay for, certainly. Also over in Gadget, we reviewed the latest Apple AirPods. Billy still did that. And he calls them better in nearly every way. Gives them a high score of 88. These things look cool. I have not tried them. Uh, But certainly Mm. if you're in the market for AirPods, they seem like a good deal. Um, I will say if if you have weird ears like mine and you've had issues with AirPods in the the past, uh, I don't know if these are going to be any better. The AirPods Pro still sound better. They use silicone tips. Um, mm. You know, th- those still have certain benefits and they have bigger drivers too. So I mm. I still reach for my AirPods Pro like every day because they're the really useful headphones to have around. If I'm working outside and somebody comes up with a leaf blower in my neighbor's mm-hmm. yard, I could just throw them on and kind of like dull some of that noise. So, you know, these things don't have that. But as AirPods, they seem really good. I uh, don't mind that they still have that little like stick hanging out of your ear look, but sure. I think some people may not like it. I don't mind it. Um, you have other you have other options. If you don't want that, you yeah. can go get a Jabra. You know, you could get um, Galaxy Buds. Like you, you've got a Pixel Buds. Mm. So many options right now. Speaking of Pixel, Trillin, <laughs> what are your what are your final thoughts? On the Pixel 6. I'm I'm so torn. I'm so torn. Um, because I personally am in the phase of switching over my primary Android phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I guess it's time to like main the Pixel 6s now. But I I don't I don't like the size of either mm. of them. 
And that's my main issue now. And I think it's been echoed in a lot of the YouTube comments that I see, a lot of the tweets. People, a, a lot of people agree that like we needed the, like a small baby pixel. Yeah. Um, with this year, the, the, the regular Pixel 6 is a 6.4-inch screen. And in terms of size, it's about the same as the bigger one, which has a 6.7-inch screen, but, you know, no bezels. So, like, the smaller one has these ugly bezels, too. So, I know our, our managing editor, Terrence O'Brien, himself is thinking of, like, which Pixel 6 to get. And, like, he was like, oh, if the Pixel 6 didn't have those bezels and was just smaller... So I think that's what you're going to hear as main complaints about these things. Um, my chiropractor slash sports therapist uh, himself is looking to upgrade from a Pixel 2 uh, to a new Pixel. And he, he's been asking me the whole time. And he was like, I was like, these are really good phones. <laughs> he was the first person to, to remind me that like the fingerprint sensor is like something very important to him. And for those of you who a lot of people have been asking me this, is it you know, the fingerprint sensor is bad compared to Samsung and OnePlus phones that have in-screen fingerprint sensors. But is it because it's slow or is it because it's giving false negatives or false positives? Right, right. Um, that's a question that was asked. And, you know, what I realized is that once I learned that I have to put my finger on it for like two seconds at a time, Ooh, <laughs> I, that's, I mean, uh, two seconds yeah. is an exaggeration, maybe more like one second. Like I had okay. to count once or something. Yeah. Um, but that the... the once I figured out that I have to do that and be patient, mm -hmm. then I realized that actually it does work. It's just, it takes a while. It's not inconsistent. It mm -hmm. takes a while. So, that's, so yeah, 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 that's the three main things to complain about these phones stacked up against a list of pros, which mm -hmm. start the first of all is its price. Like you really can't beat this price, right? Like you're starting at $600 for the Pixel 6. And my biggest complaint about it is the fingerprint sensor is slow and it's a little big. And I mean, like, if you're not size sensitive, you you definitely could get the Pixel 6 and have a really good time. I think it'll be great. The camera, so the camera features and a lot of the software features, which were some of the highlights, they're summed up in three words, like hit or miss. It really <laughs> depends on the situation. <laughs> magic eraser, oh my gosh, sometimes it's true magic. Sometimes it's like, hold, and, and what I've realized is when Google is able to automatically detect things in the scene and wants to erase for you, it works amazingly. In can, can you erase like, those friends you don't like uh, who sometimes yeah. show up in your photos? Yes. The photo bomber thing is yeah. pretty good. I have a pile yeah, from can... our like CES trips. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Contacts. I can't wait to delete. All some. my photos were Sherlin, basically. So, but yeah. Yeah, I was thinking same. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah uh, same. But look at look at these comparison pictures um, mm -hmm. on my review on our review video, or you know, if you're tuning into our live stream, you'll see them on screen right now. Um, the magic eraser tool is pretty insane. Uh, when when it is able to detect people, it does a really good job. The struggle is when you when it's when you're trying to erase something that is not already detected for you. Um, then it has a harder time filling in the background with something that's not so obvious. Um, one of the uh, hosts on Twit's network of podcasts, Ant Pruitt, he did a video of uh, removing a chain link, uh, a fence, not a yep, chain link yep. fence, but a fence in front of a dog with the Pixel 6 Magic Eraser. And I gotta say, the, the result looked not awful. You can still see there was a fence there. Yeah, you can still like, see the like... crisscross pattern, but like, a, a faint sure sure sort of slightly pixelated version i don't know it's kind of we're, funny we're but getting there we're getting yeah. there i mean google's always been good at computational photography i guess yes. and like they're 
Stuff is getting better. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Face Unblur as a tool, Face Unblur is one of the things that I was most impressed by. I It's basically supposed to stitch um, pictures from the wide camera and the... Um, main camera when you're shooting your subject that's like as it's as they're moving and it'll keep their faces sharp and clear um by by using the wide more sharp picture to on top of the face which is like oh okay so when i was shooting our video producer brian O, as he was shaking his head in front of me not at me in front of me <laughs> uh, <laughs> every shot Every single shot was crisp. Now, I will say that it was not every shot that had face and blur applied in that scenario because for some reason, I think just the shutter speed's really fast on these things too. Um, some of them just didn't have face and blur, but they were very clear. But the Seeing you look at your photos, by the way, really yeah. makes me miss Prospect Park because you were clearly I taking know. photos around yes, Brian's, we Brian's apartment and I used to live yeah. like right right near him. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful in the fall. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. some of the, that, that was my favorite part of the testing was going to Prospect Park to shoot because mm -hmm. again, that's where you take a lot of pictures with your phone and yeah. like that yeah. was the best place to test them. I, I did so <laughs> much testing for this phone, so much, and 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 I wrote so many words. Like <laughs> my joke is that I almost got fired over how long my review was, but we had to trim <laughs> it just to make sure it wasn't going too far or like off yeah, like tangents yeah. and whatever. But I say that like even in this podcast, I feel like there's still not enough time for me to get into everything. For sure, I would recommend just sending me your questions. Hopefully, I'll be go able to go look at Sherlin's video review. Them. It's yeah, a very the nice video, video review. review. I mean, we <laughs> cut the video review too. <laughs> it was going to be like a twenty-minute video at some point. You know, and then we're, you like, know, we're not making a Pixel Six documentary here. Look, <laughs> I might. That, you don't give me ideas, Devendra, because I might <laughs> make sure. a Pixel Six documentary with the Pixel if Six. If people would actually oh gosh, watch technology ideas. documentaries, um, yeah, th those would be fun things to make. So yeah. People, people watch them when they're on Netflix. I guess I got to call up Netflix. Yeah. That's that's what I got to do. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, yeah, do you like? I know you're not much of an Android phone owner, um, but did you have any like anything that jumped out at you when you were looking at the marketing stuff for Pixel Six or the or the keynotes that you were interested in? I mean, I got I got to remind you, Sherlyn. I've been testing Android phones. Sure, yeah. When, when, of course. when you when you were in like journo but, school, you know, yes, but like Android's come a long way. It's come a, long come a long way. way. I was I was I was there at the beginning to kind of see so many things and. It is really fascinating to see like how far Google has come. Certainly, mm -hmm. I've seen like several failed attempts at flagship yes. phones from Google to the Nexus line. Uh, the, the came Nexus, and some went. of the Nexuses were good, but yes, they, they were good. Go. They were good yeah. phones. The yeah. Nexus Four, I think, was like really, really hot. Yeah, um, and the that competition B. back in the day when like yeah, a lot of cool features immediately came to Android and didn't like it took iPhone forever to yes. even get LTE and stuff like yes. that. Um, it was really cool to see Android grow up. I think. Over the past couple of years, things seem to to get maybe a little dull just because mm. Samsung is such a monolith. Like Samsung just comes in, dominates, became the flagship. Yeah, dominates mm. is the Sony of the you know Android yeah. world. Basically, they're the one everybody's following. Samsung is like, we want big phones. Everybody wants big phones, and then everybody start making big phones, and that's think, like yeah. kind of the key. That's the yeah. key of when a company becomes a consumer electronics leader, right? Everybody's starting to follow what they're doing. The full. Kind of, kind of the same thing. Like they're they're trying new things. Whereas Google has been sitting like, Pixel phones are cheap. I guess like they're fine. Like it just feels well, like they they've been kind of treading water. 
Yeah. I, I'm sure, I, I guess, but I think with mm-hmm. since so so Samsung sort of started to dominate in my opinion from the S5 onwards. Yes, where like absolutely. they introduced water mm-hmm. resistance, and I was like, wait, what the hell? We can make our phones water resistant now? And then mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. okay. And then LG yeah. died. RIP. HTC LG died. died. RIP. HTC died. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then here's Google <laughs> chugging along, and and since the Pixel Three, I feel like Google has been clearly aware that actually it yeah. offers a lot of benefits through its software. Um, mm-hmm. And as long as it can get all the basics sorted on hardware, it can mm-hmm. really offer you super-powered software and offer a very unique selling point that Samsung can't. And I think that there's mm-hmm. a little bit of like a conflict of interest there, obviously, because sure. like you know, Google provides Android to Samsung, so it can't really like make some I mean, features. Android is and, open and source, you know. Well. Like Samsung is open to it's. It's kind of like the Windows situation, right? Right, and right. The Windows exactly. situation was fine until Microsoft started making their own computers, and then like some of that conflict started happening. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. And this is and this. I mm-hmm. mean, Google's been making their own phones for a while, so it's like not a yeah. huge deal by this point because they figured out what to do. There's Pixel UI. Oh my gosh, um, and Pixel UI is I think what stands out for me with Pixel phones. I love Pixel UI, and with the Pixel sixes. Google also offers some AI stuff. Like the voice typing is actually really good. It just needs to okay. learn where better to insert punctuation. Um, translation is incredible. That translation, like, I mean, setting aside the quirks of translation engines to begin with, the fact that none of them can get colloquialisms right, none of them can get, you know, away from sounding formal and stilted. Um, just the fact that it's built into so many places and and works so quickly. That tensor processing unit on the tensor chip is mm-hmm. insanely fast for all of these tasks. Like oh, yeah. they just all the voice recognition, all the translations happening really quickly on these phones. If you like those features, you're gonna get a real kick out of this phone. But like I I don't use translation mm-hmm. a lot in my life, so who knows yet? Uh, I will say the, part of mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. The tensor chip is really interesting. Yes. I, I just want to put this out there because that is like where Google's like, oh, we can do this. We can build this. We can do our own unique things. There's some like AI processing and stuff in there that nobody else has really. So that's interesting. But it involved it involved Google like literally making the brains of the phone to make their phones interesting. So not everybody can do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's surprising is that like um, just to compare, we ran uh, Geekbench 5 on the uh, iPhone 13, so A15 Bionic, uh, Pixel 6, so Tensor. And then uh, the Surface Duo was the closest phone I had with the Snapdragon 888, so I ran it on the 888 as well. And like the Tensor, despite having two X1 cores, the prime cores, was the slowest of the lot on the results. Uh, it had like a 2800-ish score on Geekbench CPU. Uh, not compute. I think compute it might have might get better just because. But but on CPU it lost to both the Bionic uh, A15 Bionic and the Snapdragon 888. So A15 was be- the best score, mm-hmm. four thousand eight hundred something, uh, and the the Snapdragon 888 got like thirty six hundred ish or thirty eight hundred ish, and Google came in like a thousand. That's, lower that's than weird. That, so I will say like and as somebody who runs a lot of benchmarks to benchmarks aren't everything. Everybody For like sure, it's yes. a it's a standard to say like. I can run this fast, okay? But if Google can also build, you know, a chip that can run fast enough, but also offload the work to do like camera processing and voice processing and stuff, that won't show up in the benchmark. Like they that's ha- what I was about to lead into, which is that the thing is that like, but all of that camera processing that's really fast, like if you like look, okay, so score to score, right? The Snapdragon 888 on the Surface Duo 2 higher than the um the Tensor's uh, two thousand something. 
But the Surface Duo 2's camera was so freaking slow. Whereas with the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro, I was just, it was flying. I was was taking pictures 20 in a second. I can tell you, like, it's insanely fast. And, like, anything to do with AI, anything with voice translation, voice recognition, all just happened really quickly. So, yeah, to your point and the point that I was getting to is that, like, that doesn't, I don't think Geekbench results take into consideration things like the TPU and ISP performance, at least not in the general score sense. So, so... I'm willing to set aside the scores and 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 for its first chip, I think Google did well. I think that like anyway, Tensor, here you go. Speaking That's your experience. Thing, yeah. Like yes, when we judge other- products too, like yeah. the way it feels in your hand, the way like the actual responsiveness of when you're using it, I think sometimes does matter more than the benchmark. Um so yeah, yes. it's worth so, considering. So yeah. um the final thing I want to say is that there was this mm-hmm. funny moment when um Brian and I Brian speaks uh, Korean and understands German. I Mm -hmm. speak Mandarin and understand a whole bunch of other things. Um, So we were like, okay, I'll I'll do some translation Uh examples for this video. Uh Chinese to English, great. Korean to English, great. Korean to Chinese? (laughs) Neither of us could make head or tail of what the other were saying. It was like, it was like, in Chinese, we say, Sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, like the chicken head doesn't meet match the tongue's the duck's tongue or tongue <laughs> duck's mouth. It's a saying. It's just uh-huh. you, you're not you're not understanding each other basically, and it's uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah. Hey, Anyhow, those they're, they're making. It's nice to see they're making progress. Like I think Apple kind of needs a dedicated Siri chip because I mm. swear I any time mm-hmm. even no matter which Apple device I'm using, Siri's just so dumb, so dumb. Like yeah. I, I I shout. I shout, hey, Blanky. I shout her name a lot for like random things. Yep. Siri's like sitting right next to me. Nothing. Never yeah, responds. Same. Never yep. like it's never. And then when I do it, sometimes the thing in front of me doesn't hear it. But the iPad across the room starts responding. I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> you should be smart enough to know this. I will, um, I will yeah. say I have the same exact thing with yep. the assistant at home. I have Nest mm-hmm. audio speakers and I have the the smart display at my kitchen. I'll be Everybody standing in front of the this. right. Yeah. Everyone they need to understand mm-hmm. that like yes, some of us live in big houses, but some of us live in tight spaces. <laughs> uh, and I know you Google tried. Devices. Yeah, uh-huh. it did the whole like tweak your sensitivity thing. I made the smart display sensitivity mm-hmm. like the lowest of the low, and it still can hear me from all the way like in my bedroom where the Nest Audio just won't hear me. Which I don't you, even understand what's going on there. It's weird because it's like you want that, you want that, you want, you want them, to, them to be able to yeah. hear you. Yes. But if you have multiple devices, you want it also to be smart enough to be like, okay, the one I'm holding in my hand should be the thing you're hitting and not the thing over there. Anyway, these are all problems everybody has yes. to solve. And, lots of um, problems. Lots of problems. I'm happy to hear the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro yeah. sound good. Sound pretty yeah. exciting. If I didn't um, push my wife away from Android last year, because that just makes our family life and communicating so much easier, um, I would have gotten her one of these. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think she would have loved it. But, you know, it's okay. She's on your, your okay. family plan now. Fam- I mean, family plan, the blue chat bubbles, iMessage. By family like, plan, I meant like your family ecosystem. Yes. Well, also my family, like I Apple plans and whatnot. Like we can share subscriptions. You know, we can share things in the way that Apple and Android can't quite yet. So. You can't cross the boundaries yet. Not at all. And uh, maybe that's why we'll never see iMessage on Android. Like Apple knows what it's got. And this is how it gets people to move over. 
Hey everyone, before we get to our Facebook section, I just want to point out a pretty big update that came after our recording. Mark Zuckerberg officially announced that he's rebranding Facebook as Meta. He said during the Facebook Connect keynote today, our brand is so tightly linked to one product that it can't possibly represent everything that we're doing today, let alone the future. From now on, we're going to be Metaverse first, not Facebook first. This move also means Facebook is giving up on branding like Virtual Reality Labs, And it's also killing the Oculus brand entirely. The Oculus Quest is going to be rebranded to the MetaQuest sometime next year. Now onto the rest of our conversation, and we'll start learning how to replace Facebook with Meta. One other major piece of news that happened this week is the release of the Facebook Papers tons and tons of files from whistleblower Francis Hagen um, that was released to many, dozens of media organizations and uh, everybody kind of like did a concerted effort and tried to publish around the same time. And it seems like we're just learning a lot about how Facebook is continuously very, very awful. So joining us to talk about all this is Carissa Bell, senior editor in Gadget, who covers social networking for us. Hey, Carissa, how's it going? Hey, good to be here. Hello. And hello again to talk about Facebook's uh, absolute mess. Uh, you were on like earlier, a couple of weeks ago, like you know, to discuss the the reveal of the leaker, um, kind of what this all means. And now we have just had like a deluge of reports over the last week. So, could you give us like what are some of the highlights from the Facebook papers so far? And what is it telling us that the like original Wall Street Journal reporting didn't tell us a couple of months ago? Yeah, I mean, there's just. It's it's a little overwhelming because there's just so much. So much. Yeah. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, there's kind of something for everyone here. Like if you're you're a politico, then there's there's stories about Facebook's lobbying. You know, if you are um internationally focused publication, there's lots of stories about Facebook's kind of uh failures and misdeeds in uh other parts of the world that aren't talked about as much in Western media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think kind of a lot of it all kind of comes down to sort of like the same themes, which is, you know, like Facebook's uh, moderation failures, um, you know, both both here and abroad, um, how the various ways that uh, Hagen and others say that Facebook has put uh, profit over safety. Yep. Um, you know, I think one of the things that might be more consequential for the company is that you know, there is these documents are linked to uh, an SEC complaint and there's going to be an investigation. And, you know, one of the main allegations is that Facebook has uh, misled its investors, misled its shareholders, um, its advertisers about sort of some of the, the, you know, some of these like really big issues as like losing teen users um, that they know that they have a lot of duplicate accounts. You know, those are the kind of things that might actually result in um possibly some kind of action from from an SEC or regulatory body. Um, you know, but like these things are still coming out. They're going to be c- coming out for for several more weeks now. So I think there's there's a lot more that we're going to keep seeing. There's just so like it, it is easier to get overwhelmed because there's so much reporting, but it it all just seems to kind of like coalesce around the idea that Facebook is very very big right now and they have no way to like control the power and the conversation of its own social network, right? So when it comes to things like hate speech, um, there's a lot of talk about like how there's a lot of abuse towards women in other countries. Um, many things like climate denialism, like the, there, there was a point where some workers tried to like um, keep, um, 
I, I forget the specifics of it, but they were basically like trying to stop censoring uh, climate denialism. And one of the Facebook leaders or managers allowed that to to kind of keep going. Do you have any like broad takeaways from everything we're seeing right now? I mean, I think it shows one thing that kind of stands out is that you see that their, Facebook does have a lot of really thoughtful employees who work there yeah. because they care about kind of fixing these big problems and they want to come up with sort of creative ways to solve it. Um, and then they're not able to do so for whatever reason. A lot of times, you know, like you said, there's somebody at the top who, you know, is dealing with some other consideration other than just kind of fixing the problem. Um, you mentioned the climate denialism. There was one about um, that related to COVID-19 misinformation, how uh, Zuckerberg sort of waffled in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I think one of the more damning things was that uh, the WhatsApp team wanted to build a voting information center in 2020, yep. um, you know, sort of like the voting information center that Facebook had and uh, do a Spanish language version on WhatsApp. And Zuckerberg said that won't be politically neutral thing for Facebook to do. Voting. Voting is certainly. Yeah. Just the just the act of voting is uh, is not neutral. That is that's that's the sort of thing that to, that just makes my blood boil too. like just looking at where we are in America right now as like a lot of like conservative politicians are trying to curb voting rights and like trying to like, you know, limit the ability for people to vote. And if fewer people vote, then basically if more people vote, more people vote democratic. Like that's generally kind of how it goes. So it it is kind of um, sad to me to see like how Facebook is kind of playing a role in a lot of these, like, um, I don't know, in, in a lot of these like conservative leaning policies. I don't we we don't have any broad takeaways right now. Like this is such a flood of information, Carissa. How do you feel as a reporter? Like how do you I, I feel like it's hard when like a new gadget arrives, you know, and uh I have to like do all this testing and think about what it means. But you're you're dealing with actual important stuff. Uh how how are you surviving and how are you like trying to figure out like what is worth paying attention to amid like all this news coming out? Yeah. I mean it's hard. I think uh, a lot of people who are covering this are kind of struggling just under like the amount of yeah it's like you have a thousand thousands of pages to read every day basically um, yeah if you're looking at all these docs yeah you know i think for me a lot of it is just kind of looking at those sort of like bigger themes you know because especially as these stories keep coming out a lot of them if you if you read them closely it's you know kind of like maybe there's one or two new details um yeah. you know but a lot of the, the the bigger picture um stuff that's being led is things that we've already know things that things that have already been extensively reported on i mean this is all kind of just becoming uh more evidence of all the things that we kind of already suspected or knew about um how facebook behaves in the world i think what's going to be more interesting to see how facebook can hold up to the pressure that all this is creating you know they are you know they've shown their history has shown us that they're like very good at kind of deflecting any kind of uh scandal or um or ignoring it or yeah yeah, but I mean, yeah. this this seems this feels different, um, mm -hmm. you know. And there's there's rumors that they're going to rename themselves, which would be a, a pretty convenient distraction. Well, so. we will find out in a couple hours, and probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. So, actually, that is something worth talking about, uh, Chris. Like we were talking about, like what we expect around Facebook Connect, which is going to be their big kind of like virtual it used to be oculus connect it is where they typically dive into like what their plans are for vr and ar and stuff but it seems like the metaverse is going to be a big topic um this year and there are also the rumors that they may end up changing their names to kind of reflect that too 
what do you think about Facebook kind of like pushing on with like this brand new vision and like a whole, you know, trying to enter new territory while, you know, its house is on fire. It's like they're trying to move across the street and their house is still on fire right now. So I, I don't know if that's responsible or anything. What are your thoughts? I think it's sort of quintessential Zuckerberg, you know, yeah. where he just like he just wants to keep building things. You know, he says that he wants to like fix these problems, too. Um, but I think what we're seeing from these documents is that like he had, when he's had the opportunity to do so, right. he hasn't. And, you know, he definitely likes to, you know, think of himself as a sort of like, uh, really important technologist who's, you know, shaping the future and all that. And so, you know, I think being able to like pivot and say, well, I'm going to focus on, on the metaverse now and, um, Facebook. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook's yeah. future is the metaverse. It's not, you know, the blue app. It's not, um, you know, WhatsApp groups inciting violence and all these things i think it, you know it makes perfect sense um from from that point of view i think mm-hmm. um whether people are by it and you know the world is is ready for for metaverse or even ready to understand what he's even talking about when he says that like i, I don't know yeah just for Lynn, like any thoughts about the stuff that has been dropping or where facebook's going I just like, you know, I'm looking at this long list of uh, the, the Google Docs that collects all the Facebook um, stories from this uh, from these papers. Uh, and it's it's a really, really long list and chronicled by the day and, and, and I'm sorry, recorded or collected by the day. I just I just think about Carissa, your job, like what is like at this stage, <laughs> like what's your daily workflow look like now you wake up and you go and look at the papers a little bit more and see. And also, I know there's a limited number of the pages out here where still waiting for more of them to be released but is is like what do you what are reporters having access to right now and what is sort of the process of going through some of that stuff is is it going to a website to download all of them to look at them at your own time or do you have to be in touch with someone's pr person like facebook tried to smear a while back like what's that what's it all look like yeah so that's actually um that's a good question there and i i should point out that so I, I'm not officially part of the the consortium you know the sort of I guess official group of uh journalists who are like getting access to these like through uh Hoggins channels I think yeah. um you know there's a whole sort of like media meta narrative about like how it's it's a super club yeah 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 you know Gizmodo has um has been publishing a lot of these documents uh, there's, you know, a few other folks who are trying to make them more readable because one of the challenges is that like all of these documents are like, um, photos of a computer screen. Yeah, that's hard. So they're like, some of them are, uh, you know, not, they're not the easiest to read. They're definitely not, you know, something you can search or like use like normal, like PDF software on necessarily. Um, you know, so that, th- and that makes it even harder. I think again, it's like sort of just looking for, those themes, like looking at what the actual documents are, you know, some of them are just sort of based on like an employee post on workplace um, Mm -hmm. and some comments, things like that, which, you know, I think are important because they show you what employees are thinking, but they're not necessarily on the same level as like these sort of like bigger research documents that were prepared for like, um, you know, leadership Mm -hmm. at the company, for example. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see like what all this leads to just because, hey, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Microsoft got in trouble for a web browser. Okay, and got in serious trouble for a web browser. Carissa, yeah. this is our 100th episode, and davinja has been taking a lot of walks down memory lane Walk this episode. It's been great. <laughs> but also, listen, if you're going to understand the present, you got to understand the past. And I agree. it is I wild agree. that all this stuff is happening 
20 <laughs> yeah a while ago a bit, yeah, uh, in the late 90s um 20 plus years ago microsoft was in deep deep shit for prioritizing internet explorer over netscape navigator in windows and now for one we have a company thing. for one thing and that took them years to kind of deal with yeah. in court and like kind of deal with a solution uh facebook it's like relentless the amount of things that yeah. facebook is breaking in our society and in democracies and in so many things so do, do you have any sense of like how it seems like regulation is more on the table than ever but do you have any sense of like how governments and people will end up responding to all this yeah i mean it's it like i said it's kind of it's hard to know like there's already been several hearings about uh these issues just uh here in our Congress. Uh, Elizabeth Warren tweeted yesterday that now she's like extra motivated to uh, see Facebook broke up. Um, the FTC is reportedly um, having a look at these documents. So, uh, and Facebook itself told its employees, you know, that they kind of have to preserve all their communication, um, you know, which signals that they're sort of staring down some some serious investigations. So it, it does seem like we are going to see something uh, come out of this like nobody really knows what you know because it's one of those things that you know hogging herself when she uh appeared in the senate uh, a while back she you know she had some really thoughtful ideas on on you know what could happen like section 230 reform um you know changing facebook's algorithms in some way you know but those are hardly widely agreed on steps that should mm -hmm. be taken there's there's still a lot of disagreement about how to do this correctly there there's yeah there's so many, I just want to point out too, like uh, there was pushback against, um, as uh, Frances Haugen was talking to UK lawmakers, I think she revealed like more of her thoughts about how, kind of how things work within Facebook and the things she'd want to fix. And she was talking about limiting encryption. And that is something I know privacy advocates are very, very careful about how they talk about, right? Because sure... Um, yes, being able to having less encryption will allow like more moderation of content and stuff and may help like with uh, with bad things and bad groups of people talking together. But in terms of privacy, it's a bad, bad thing. I, have you thought about that, Carissa, and kind of like how? Yeah, I don't, I don't think she is, you know, not all of her opinions are the things everybody is agreeing with. So it is kind of interesting, like how this is all shaping up, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing to balance. You talk about. When you talk about walking back encryption, you know, that's yeah. something that uh, Zuckerberg has been very bullish on. But like a lot of others, um, you know, in the wider uh, tech security community are as well, because a lot of these places where Facebook operates, they have authoritarian governments. Um, they have, you know, people who, you know, really need to feel safe on the Internet. And maybe you can argue whether like WhatsApp is like the best version of of encryption that's out there. But, you know, when you talk about taking away some of those protections, like I think we have a pretty good idea that like people will be more at risk in some places. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a conversation like worth having about and like, you know, looking at sort of what the trade-offs are there. But I think, you know, that's something that a lot of people are rightfully saying that they would need to be really careful about doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like we, yeah, we need more people in charge who kind of understand the broader risks and stuff involved in all of this. But I uh, just want to say thank you so much, Carissa, for joining us again to chat about all <laughs> this. Um, we are definitely going to have you on. Like as we get more revelations, I yeah. feel like, um, yeah, it is nice to have somebody we could talk to who has also been thinking about this while I'm off thinking about gadgets. Like I, I wish I could read every single bit of this Facebook reporting, but there's not enough time in the day. So, yeah, where can people find you on the Internet, Carissa? Uh, on Twitter, at Carissa B.E.
Let's move on to some other news. And we've got a couple tidbits of like chip news and OS news today. Why don't you kick it off, Sherlyn? Yeah, um, this week, iOS 15.1 was released. Uh, not only did it bring with it share play on Fitness Plus, which will allow you to group workouts with your friends. I'm so excited to test it out. So, 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 so excited to test it out with um, uh, UK viewer Chief Matt Smith. But also it brought about to share play in general. As a mm-hmm. recap, share play is that thing where you can call your friends over FaceTime and watch Ted Lasso together on the stream. It's so much fun. And you can watch TikToks together. I had a briefing with Apple this week uh, to to preview some of the apps that are coming to get uh, to share play and uh, just ended up writing a guide about it. So you guys can uh, check out Engadget.com for that. It's just how to how to share play on iOS 15. But I appreciate uh, it. It's hard. The, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a new thing that we all sort of should learn, like what the functions and the controls are. I thought it's like it's a brand new function. Um, I didn't know, actually, that when you were screen sharing uh, mm-hmm. over share play to someone, your your the person on the other end can zoom in to things on your screen like that you're sharing. Um, huh. that's the only thing they can do but they uh-huh. can so like they can. if you have something yeah, if you have chats. something hidden in a pixel somewhere yeah <laughs> they can zoom in and see it close so those don't. bad browser tabs yeah <laughs> yeah close all your tabs um, but they can't they can't see your alerts yeah. they can't like do your hentai research screen. elsewhere yes yeah <laughs> that was the thing that happened on Twitter <laughs> Oh no. oh no! I forget who it was, but yeah. Research, okay, sure. Somebody um, was like, no. they posted a screenshot, and there was like hentai in the tab, and he was like, "I was just looking, I was looking up what hentai was." Okay, yeah, I don't know what it it's means. Like- okay, I didn't turn on tentacle <laughs> porn for like anyway. Uh, now I got distracted, but I wrote yeah. this guide mostly because why is screen sharing over SharePlay going to be good? Because it's going to help you. Or those of us who need to tech support over All your miles parents. and miles of land. Yep. Yeah. I don't care who it is. Parents, <laughs> ch- kids, neighbors, relatives, whatever it is. You got to do tech support. This could be a good tool. The thing is, you got to first teach them how to use SharePlay mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to screen share with you. So that's, here's the guide. Just tell them to read the guide. That's great. That's what I'm going to do to my parents. I'm like, can you just read this before I help you with anything? And they're gonna be like, I have to read what you wrote. Gross. Yeah, my Gross. parents are no, my parents actually beg me to to share my work with them because I'm I never. I'm just like, no, yeah. don't look at the videos. Anyway. Don't tell them about Twitter and everything. <laughs> oh need done. <laughs> it's actually uh-huh. anyway. Uh so there's iOS 15.1. Uh Apple, Apple's very cool update that brings, I mean. By cool, I mean the mm-hmm. feature SharePlay, I think, is very cool. SharePlay actually, seems know. really cool. And um, yeah. also SharePlay for Apple Fitness Plus, so you could do it with friends, too. That's fun. Yeah. Group workouts, up to 32 people, y'all. And uh, not everyone's <laughs> stats will be on screen all the time, but you, I mean, you get to see your friends sweat it out. And whoever's the loudest <laughs> will be on the tile uh, as active speaker Okay, the PIP. So, uh, okay, cool. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. So... Check it out. I mean, there's quite a, a lot of little nitty gritty things in there, right? Like you all have to be subscribers. Mm-hmm. You all have to be uh, have the app on your phone. I had to install TikTok to do this demo, Devendra. I can't. I don't, I I don't understand the TikTok hate, but yeah, I don't hate it. I'm just like I don't. I don't use it at all. So um, TikTok could be your ticket to after. success, Lynn. Embrace I mean, I'm it. already. That's true. A lot of people. I don't know. We'll see what the next yeah. big thing is. Yeah. I also well, downloaded. <laughs> Sorry, the NBA app to to check this out. It also works with the NBA app, so you can watch okay. live games on your phone or TV with your with, or your iPad with 
whoever. Oh, and you can turn off your camera and your microphone so you can go take a toilet break but still remain in the conversation. Oh, please remember to do that. I don't. Do. I'm not a fan of when people forget to do that during group chats. Um, yeah. Speaking of OS updates, <laughs> there is something I think you've been waiting for coming to Android from Google. Uh, I, I wasn't waiting for this because I wasn't expecting Google We talk to about it so announce. often. But I yeah. know, but we complain about Android on larger screens a lot. And I think yep. Google somewhere heard us. They were like, oh, crap, the Engadget podcast specifically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like, really we're really, really giving us heat for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't want Shirley or Davinja to be mad. So <laughs> this week it announced Android 12 L. Android 12 L, the L stands for large, I'm assuming. And uh, it's basically designed for different screen sizes, sort of the way Windows 10X was supposed to be cognizant of different states and screen sizes. Anyway, uh, Google's pitching this as for larger screens and foldable screens. So not only will it have, you know, two column settings panels and two columns notification shades when it detects that your screen's wider than 600 dips, um, it'll be able to also, well, it'll enable developers to know when the hinge is sort of slightly folded and you know, let their apps make use of that so-called natural separator. Um, it'll also be adding a taskbar, making it look a lot more like Chrome OS. Um, and this taskbar will not only make it easier for you to just find your more frequently used apps, but also um, split screen more easily by just dragging and dropping these apps onto the screen. It looks good. Funny thing is, it looks very similar to some of the things that other companies like Samsung have had to do to make uh -huh. Android look nice on a bigger screen. They had to build it themselves, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So now Android's baking that in. I saw a comment on our YouTube chat earlier uh, asking if it is more fragmentation of Android. I don't feel like this is fragmenting if only because it's 12L is sort of like built into 12 and it really, all these features only kick in when they detect a certain type of screen width. So it's still there. You just won't see it on a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's still and Google, Google, part of one Google thing, needs yeah. to do this. Like this is yes. exactly what we were complaining about is that Android for the past oh. decade, this is 10 years too late, but oh for the past gosh. decade, Android has basically been like, well, you got a big screen, you yep. got big Android. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't do anything different to make Android yeah. work well or seem nice on tablets. And it just seems like mm -hmm. complete negligence on Google's part to like let let this market completely run away. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, like maybe Android <laughs> tablets stand a chance now. Like Samsung sure hasn't given up making them because Samsung also just made software to try and make that work. Samsung was like, all right, Dex, we're going to we're going to give you Dex, y'all. And then, nope, that was just not great. I mean, I think Dex is still going to stick around because Dex does offer some different things. Dex offers a start screen to begin with, uh, a homepage, I mean, uh, that looks more... By Dex, do you mean the thing where you plug into a monitor? Well, Dex also or? exists as a mode on tablets that you can right. turn on okay. and off. Yeah, or if you attach a keyboard to a tablet, it'll come up Dex mode. Um, but yes, that is that is what I'm referring to. But I mean, Dex also offers that, like a, a more desktop-looking interface, also like resizable windows, um, th that like that like are floating panels, not just like split screen resizable um, windows. But this is <laughs> this is the start. I think there's a long way to go for Android. I think there's things they could learn honestly from Samsung, who weirdly enough has so much more experience in trying to make Android work for larger screens. Come the f why, on! But why is Samsung <laughs> the one investing in all this stuff when right. Google's right there? What are you doing, Google? I think uh, this anyway. year. 
Sorry, to just close out that yeah. thought. This year, it seems like Google is realizing Samsung's been doing a lot of the work that it should have, uh-huh, especially uh-huh. with the Wear OS side of things. Um, they teamed up with Samsung to make some of that work. Now they're doing 12L where it looks like they're learning that tablets deserve a better UI. And maybe they'll look to Samsung again on, on 12L to learn a bit about. But I am encouraged. Like This is a good first step. There's more that can be done. There's a lot that developers have to do to make their apps work with 12L as well. Not a lot, but like they have to do some work. I I can just imagine, like, I actually, I think a fun dream job would be just like being a Google product manager, but with like ultimate power and just like going in and be like, what are you guys doing? What Tablets, (laughs) do Android tablets, do something more here. Like, let's just make this work. I, I, I feel like I, they yeah. all they need a kick in the pants or something to kind of make this happen. So I guess Samsung has been that kick in the pants to Google for the past couple of years. I, I yeah, I'm I'm friendly with some of the product managers, and I don't. I, I don't think care. they're all kind of care. like focusing. They no, what need, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, what I mean is they're all focusing on their own things. So maybe they yeah, just exactly. needed someone on top of tablets for like they needed someone. They needed to create a role um, to, to, to synergize yeah. and uh, visionaries, speed up? designers. I, there, there needs to be somebody yeah. like yeah, point over here and be like, we need to do this. We need to go yeah. there. Whereas I feel like catalyze. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. 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 Catalyze. Catalyze uh, the process. So, yeah. so annoying. Well, anyway, talking about companies who, that are have been kind of disappointing for years and you're trying really hard to compete. Let's talk about Intel's 12th gen CPUs. (laughs) And they just announced these things. Um, They're just called the 12th gen line. Uh, But these are the Alder Lake chips we've talked about over the past few years. This is their first attempt at doing a hybrid design. So similar to basically what ARM has been doing for the past decade, again, uh, on the mobile side, these things have up to eight uh, P-core, performance cores, and up to eight E-cores or efficient cores. So at the the high end, the 12900K has 16 cores in total, but it's like half and half, eight performance, eight E. Um, And it it is a combined chip. It is a new way of thinking of how an Intel... CPU works. Um, they tried this hybrid design with their Lakefield chips, uh, I think last year. It didn't really end up in too many machines. But this thing, this is their next big stab. It is based on the um, Intel 7 architecture, which again, we talked about this a couple of months ago. They renamed their entire design process. So Intel 7 is actually their like upgraded 10 nanometer design it's it's a whole thing i will say um looking at the numbers we're getting from intel around these things um it does seem good it does seem like this this hybrid design is smart especially for an os like windows where there are a lot of like background processes and things where it's like okay put the put the weaker chips over here let them just like churn out this work where the high powered ones can focus on the game or the encoding or whatever you're doing um Intel claims P cores can perform up to 28% faster than its 10th gen Comet Lake chips and the E cores. The E cores are basically just the 10th gen chips um, with like no upgrades overall. And I think like they're just like saying there are a lot of uh, big upgrades overall. Uh, the 12th gen chips are up to 19% faster overall. Intel claims um, the 12900K is 50% faster than last year's. 11900K in multi-threaded performance while using less power. So it is a whole new way of thinking. They don't just have like 
eight cores working really hard at high power and the 11 chips were really, really hot too. So that those got a lot of criticism. Now they could be like, okay, let's put some stuff on the E cores. Let's put some stuff in the P cores. Um, let's kind of work together to kind of do a lot of concurrent tasks. So especially when it comes to multitasking, they're saying these things are going to be a big upgrade, uh, a 50% jump, you know, at a lower power level is pretty wild to me. And uh, gaming as well, they're saying like 30% better than the 11900K in uh, in a game like uh, Troy, A Total War Saga. Um, some big benchmarks all around. Okay. Um, yeah, I, just big numbers. Yeah. I'm not as familiar with like Intel architecture. Is this the first time they're using this sort of big little design? Um, they So they've talked about it for a while. And I think last year I mentioned they, they had the Lakefield chip. And yeah. that... I think that was just for like really low powered uh, laptops and stuff. It wasn't okay. really in too many devices. Um, but yeah, this is big little basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it seems like it's a big upgrade overall. The real question is um, what does this mean when comparing it to like the Apple chips, right? Like what does this mean compared to M1 and everything? And uh you know, that's that's where things are going to get confusing. Like, I think um, there is a benchmark leak that suggests the 12900K, which is the fastest of these new chips, is um, is faster than the, than the M1 Max, you know? But the M1 Max chip is, a, is still a laptop chip. It's still, like, a much lower wattage, a power-sipping chip. Uh, once Apple brings that design over to, like, the Mac Mini or a Mac Pro... I, I still feel like Intel is going to be a little toast. Um, the benchmarks we saw from Intel also, um, they they showed us AMD benchmarks before AMD and Microsoft fixed some of the bugs with those chips in Windows 11. So there may be some slowdown there. I'm still, I'll wait to see if like they give us any new benchmarks. And honestly, I just want to get a hold of these chips in some machines soon and test them out. Uh, they seem like a big deal. So if you waited on upgrading, if you didn't upgrade to an 11th gen chip, I think you lucked out because those things were kind of, uh, they weren't, they just like weren't decent upgrades. And in some cases they were even slower than 10th gen chips. Um, so, you know, kind of a waste. Uh, 12th gen looks good. We'll be keeping an eye on everything. And, uh, as usual, what happens is that Intel announces stuff now by CES time, by like January and February, AMD, AMD is going to be like, Hey, Here's our new, new stuff. And <laughs> Intel is going to be scrambling. Um, this back and forth between Intel, AMD, and uh, Apple now I think is really exciting. And it shows like the chip industry is heating up. We're going to see some really cool stuff happening because of this competition. I think that's mm-hmm. ultimately a good thing for consumers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Sherlyn? Like, are I mean, you excited to see Intel try something different? I Yes, definitely. I think it's like... Big little architecture makes a lot of sense to me in general. Just like, oh, why not? Um, I mean, I've n- never really given it much thought on like something like a laptop, right? Like what <laughs> what task would you relegate to an e-core? But maybe it's playing music. Maybe it's that whole like detecting if like trying to keep your machine always ready to respond to you thing or, you know, because on phones, it makes a lot of sense. Phones are constantly sensing all kinds of different things and, and doing a lot of things that are low power, but like not necessarily like running all the time. Um but it's it's going to be nice to see how that performs on mm-hmm. laptops. It's especially like especially when it comes to true multitasking, right? Like yeah. playing a game and streaming over OBS at the same time on the same right. machine. And um, Intel is saying the twelve nine hundred K is around eighty four percent faster while playing Mountain Blade two uh, and streaming over OBS compared to the eleventh gen chip. Mm. Uh, that 
Yeah, 47% faster nice. while multitasking Adobe Lightroom Classic and Premiere Pro. Um, big numbers. And yeah. you talk to a lot of streamers, especially people who do this professionally, like our video yeah. producer, Julio. You need to have two computers. You need to have one yeah, computer just for video. Right. One computer for playing the game. That's not feasible for everybody, I think. So right, right. this new design kind of opens the door for more flexibility and yeah. true, true multitasking. So, yeah. yeah, we'll be keeping an eye out for all of that. Yeah. Hey, hey, speaking of companies that are uh, struggling to remain relevant in whichever Love these world uh, segues, yeah. They're all working <laughs> and, really well. Yeah, I know. I just borrowed yours. Copy and paste it right here. But uh, that are uh, not doing so great compared to their competitors, though. Uh, Sony this week had a bunch of news. We, we all know that Sony was going to announce something soon, and it did the... Xperia Pro 1. This is the follow-up to the Sony Xperia Pro from earlier. I almost said last year. That's why I paused. Uh But it was Mm -hmm. the follow-up to this year's Xperia Pro. It was announced at the start of the year. It was $2,500 and was a phone that was just... For video pros, it's it's really just like stuff to the guts with, like stuff to the brim with, with a lot of good video features. This time around, the Xperia Pro 1, uh, the most attention-grabbing thing about it is its one-inch sensor that is oh, borrowed man. from the RX100 series. That's the a RX big deal. Yeah. yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane. How? What the hell? The Pixel Pro, they're all boasting about their one over one three-inch <laughs> sensor. I'm like, okay, but yep. this is a one-inch, like... It's an RX 100 mm-hmm. in the phone, in a um, phone. which is that's why it's a big deal, right? It's it's also got 2.4 microns uh, size pixels compared to the Pixel 6 Pro, which is 1.2 microns. This is mm-hmm. twice the size, um, yeah. which I mean, so you can get like real bokeh from this uh, from this lens. Like you could do some real. I think it'd be so gorgeous, work. yeah. yeah. Oh real, my yeah. gosh! I mean, the RX 100 series is one of my favorites in the it's point great. and shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, pro-ish level of point and shoot anyway. It's mm-hmm. it's really good. The lens is on that. It's good, but we'll see, right? So this one has um, Sony's like imaging processors. So it's got like 20 FPS uh, burst shooting and then autofocus, like, auto exposure enabled. So like, oh man, this is taking me back to the days when they covered cameras and reviewed them. Mm-hmm. But all of the, mm-hmm. all of those specs, right? Very high up there. Uh, 24 millimeter lens between F2 mm-hmm. and F4 apertures. Um, I mean, and then it's got like a yeah. Snapdragon 888, which we just talked about. It's a very powerful. Yeah. Uh, I will say the people which, watching us on video right now, this, this is a different phone, actually, right? The oh, you mean the the stream on? Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm not actually looking at our <laughs> video feed right now. The Pro One, <laughs> yeah, the Pro One looks uh, a little different on the back. It's like this black. Uh, Mm-hmm. It's got a different finish from its regular Xperia phones too. I will say, mm-hmm. uh, people might be confused because this week we also published <laughs> our review of the Xperia One Mark III, which is so still an expensive phone. Stop. Right, still an expensive phone, but not the great, not the like twenty five hundred dollar Pro level phone that we're talking about right now that uh, Sony announced. The One Mark III review that we published this week by by Matt Smith is. It's just another one of Sony's Xperia yeah. One phones. It's a one, it's, but it's not a pro phone. It's, it's not just the pro. all so And it's Mark III. Mark III, just in case you were thinking it was Mark Dell. I'm sorry, I meant Mark I. Um, <laughs> Mark Dell being our one of our regular viewers, listeners, audience members. Um, but yeah, it's a very intriguing phone. It's just not made for everyone, right? At $2,500, I mean... It's supposed well, this thing to is eighteen hundred dollars in right? the US yeah. for eighteen hundred. Yeah. Twenty five hundred was the original pro starting price. Right. This is right. now going for our eighteen hundred dollars, which like I guess is the same price as the Z Fold three. 
That's how much I I paid for a full frame compact camera, you know, for pretty much that price. So like gives a camera quality of this is that good. I might just buy that and go to CES with, you know what I mean? Like I don't want to drag around my DSLR anymore. Anyhow, Anyhow. worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. I'm I'm pretty sure we will be Mm -hmm. calling this into review. Uh, We don't have it on hand yet. But is there? There's I, no zoom, is there? I feel like there's no mechanical zoom. From I don't I think see. there's an optical. Just, yeah. If there is, it would be one of those folded mirror ones. But I don't see. Uh, no. Yeah, it's not. So mm, fixed I mean, lens. Yeah. I yeah f- fixed. But there are um, extra additional lens op- uh, camera options. There's a 50 millimeter telephoto on the side, and then it has an ultra wide option as well. So it's like a triple camera system. Um. But, you know, people apparently wanted a setup that matched their collection of prime lenses. And that's probably why they went with a non-zooming main lens. And then you have options for zooming if you need it. 50 millimeters is pretty impressive, I think. So there you go. That should get you like, I don't know, depending on how to do it four times. I don't know. I think that was close to the pixel. Anyhow, we will be reviewing that. We'll get you the picture samples. We'll, We'll... Put someone good we'll on see. that review because I don't. Somebody I don't know if I want to be reviewing. A good, a good camera nerd, uh, maybe James. Yeah. We shall Probably see. Probably James, Steve. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you know. We got. We Check got out all our reviews, and we've we've got a lot of folks who like specialize in different things. So yes, you know, we, we've got yeah. so much. Content They're good out at there. their respective beats. Rounding um, out we, the news. Yes. Right. Go ahead. One yes. one more thing. Oh my god. Doom so part excited. two. Woohoo! <laughs> Dude, part two, and uh, I had mentioned last week that the um, I think one of the has been confirmed this week. I just want to say that. Yeah, but I had mentioned last week that probably the worst part of Denis Villeneuve's Dune is that it kind of just ends, and we had no idea if they would even make part two. Like, don't give me this beautiful world and mm-hmm. these great actors and stuff, and just like drop it, um, which has happened before for so many franchises. I'm thinking of like the the time they did the Golden Compass. With Nicole mm-hmm. Kidman and Daniel Craig, like just end it because that movie wasn't popular enough. <laughs> oh my enough. god! That um, one, so yeah, Dune, Dune Part Two coming October twentieth, twenty twenty three. So good. Confirmed. I feel like they just had to. They they probably just want to like push people to go to the theater and be like, yes. I, I don't know if we're gonna yeah. make this if yeah. you don't actually Support go see it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they refuse to confirm it. Yeah, I had no doubt in my mind they were going yeah. to do it because of the hype. Because of like, I mean, it seemed like it was going to be a great production anyway. But I feel like you're right. They were trying to trying to make sure people went out and saw it to to clinch this to clinch this second part. And but it's, yes, it's done well in theaters. Like it is the best uh, simultaneous HBO Max and theatrical yeah. premiere um, yeah. ever. So clearly a sign that is both helping HBO Max and um, and like getting people to go see it in big screens. I wrote yeah. up a piece too saying um, basically Dean is, Dune is too big for your TV. So go. I really like that take. Mm-hmm. I saw it and I was like, oh, it's a very smart take. But uh, then you watched it on your TV. You ignored everything oh, yeah. I said. Yes, and just I just watched it on your TV. It's smart for everyone who, you know, uh-huh. doesn't want to watch it on their TV. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy watching it on my TV. I don't really like going to the theaters uh-huh. in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially now, I mean, if, if you can't exactly. guarantee safety and everything, then yeah, that, and I put that straight up in my argument. Um, but if you're vaccinated in your mask and you could go to like not a very crowded screening, I do think it is worth it for a movie like Dune. But hey, the one the one yep. thing I went to a theater for was Shang-Chi and and mm-hmm. I had a mask on the whole time it was not the mm-hmm. most comfortable. Oh, yeah. And- I'm double masked in the theater. Like yeah. I'm just like yeah. not not yeah. even taking sips of water. I'm just like there yeah. just to see a movie. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's very exciting. such good news. Such good news for Dune. Let's move on to what we've been working on. And I uh, just want to shout out the Facebook Connect is happening. So keep an eye mm-hmm. out for news around that. Um, we're actually two hours away from the start of the show, like right now as we're recording. Uh-huh. So things are going to happen. I have some news like in the hopper about Facebook's like vision for the metaverse. So you can expect to see all that over in Gadget. And uh, the the rumor was that Facebook may end up changing its name to kind of more reflect this focus right. on the metaverse. So <laughs> I have no clue. I don't know what's up. Meta, meta. Uh, meta, meta. Um, you know, by the time you hear this podcast, they will probably have announced something. But still, shoot us uh, shoot us your suggestions of what you'd rather Facebook call themselves. Um, yeah, there, there's some. Play-Doh. Many, I don't yeah. know. Face <laughs> face mash. Ooh, that would be too close um, to face mask. I think I think the thing was uh, my face. Oh, my no. face yeah, I think would have been people, would have actually been perfect. Yeah, there were a lot of people already accidentally calling that my face my back face. in my day. Yes, my face back in my day. Exactly, um, exactly. So that's what you're um, what working on. What have you been working on, Trillin? Yeah, I am working on taking a break. I want to clear whatever I have left. Next week mm-hmm. I'm on off, so you won't hear me on the Engadget Great. podcast. You heard it here first. I just announced it. <laughs> Um, uh, and, yeah, that uh, completely ruins my plans and everything. Thank I you, know. Please go I'm on. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I'm sorry I didn't give you the okay. heads up before okay. this live <laughs> <It's> broadcast. But <laughs> taking it's time fine. off. Take next your time week. off. Everybody, yes. take your time off. If you've been working hard and you have been banking days off, yeah, take the time I, I off. Need yeah, to take all of the all of the vacation days, or they're not going to. Take gonna your go vacation days. Uh, just call um, in sick. You know, just like <laughs> skip off your work. No one's yes. going to know. Yes. No one's going to, but, uh, no, but the, you know, before that I was working on the multiple embargoes that Google and Apple decided to drop on the same day and all that stuff. So I'll be coming back to more of the same. I've already got some meetings lined up for when I come back. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to say I'll miss y'all, but I won't. So there you go. <laughs> um, okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Uh, what do you got this week, Sherlyn? All right. So I don't know if you... I'm sure you've heard of this show. I'm not sure if you've seen it. This time around, I picked up a new TV series called Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yeah. I've heard, I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah. Really good. Surprising. I mean, not surprisingly. I knew it was going to be good. So this is a series starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez as three neighbors uh, in this ritzy building in Manhattan. I think Upper West Side, if not Upper mm-hmm. East. Um, and um, Very, very someone, different culturally there. Very, let's just say. But yeah. <laughs> very different culturally from the rest of... This is, this is firmly like glitzy Gossip Girl territory almost. Sure. But... But featuring a cast from all like different walks of life, I will say, like not everybody in this show is affluent, right? I think you know at some point they go out to Long Island, like the not great parts of Long Island, not the Hamptons or whatever. So anyway, um, someone gets someone in their building gets murdered, and their true crime podcast fans, all three of them, <laughs> and that's how they bond. And they 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 decide it's Steve Martin going, and Martin Short doing yeah. a podcast as a yeah, TV show, amazing. like I yeah. Yeah, it's I would watch pretty, that. That premise yep. alone, right? And Steve Martin is so good in this. I mean, Martin Short is Martin Short mm-hmm. is like always Martin Short. Like Steve mm-hmm. Martin is like to me, really, really good in this. I was just surprised. He his physical comedy on this is also great. Anyway, um, they 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 make a true crime pro- podcast about it, and it's awesome. And they try to find out what happens. And my favorite part though is like <laughs> Tina Fey and Jane Lynch both guest star, mm-hmm. and they do. They're so great. They're both 
incredible sting also guest stars but stings like eh. i mean like stings guest starred on a bunch of things i think that i'm not does he just walk on shirtless like in dune i guess not <laughs> it was the whole thing <laughs> on the, the original the dune, right? dune, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah. so, anyway uh he's not shirtless <laughs> i don't think no he's not anyway he's probably a little too old for that right now yeah 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 he's but well, he's on there i don't think you're ever too old to be shirtless but he just didn't do that anyway um good show great like the you know Great pacing. Amy Ryan does a great job as well. So just so many good a- actors. I love seeing Martin Short and uh, Steve Martin do their thing. Uh, Selena Gomez is also, you know, a really strong actor. So yeah, enjoy, enjoy this upbeat, not really that upbeat, but upbeat <laughs> TV series. Can't wait for season two. Very cool. One thing I want to just highlight is that, hey, the Cowboy Bebop trailer is here mm. for the Netflix live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop um, starring John Cho, yes. Daniel Pineda, Daniela Pineda, uh, Mustafa Shakir. Um, I love Cowboy Bebop. And the Corgi, like, it looks like. And a, oh my God, Sherlyn, you're not even ready for this if you don't know the Corgi. But yeah, I love Cowboy Bebop the show so much. Um, the act, the original, the anime, the anime is on Netflix right now too. Everybody can go watch. You should just watch it, Sherlyn. Um, but yeah, Cowboy Bebop was one of those shows that really, um, it came like well into like when I was watching anime and was a serious like anime file. But mm-hmm. I certainly have made a lot of friends around that show. I love the character so much. Uh, I love the music by Yoko Kano. Like Cowboy Bebop, I have listened to those soundtracks. I've watched that show enough that it is like embedded in my DNA. So I love mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop. And I've seen a lot of the preview stuff that they've been showing for the show. And it seemed a little weird. You know, th- th- there's a lot of stuff. Um, they had this like really cool cartoony uh, preview a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it looked that great. Um, it seemed like a little too weird and cartoony. Um, huh. Yeah, I like the cast, but uh, trying to do something. Cowboy Bebop is one of those things that's just like perfect. It is a perfect show. Incredible, like incredible writing characters, the way it looks, the way it feels. <laughs> um, great music. Uh I don't know what an adaptation can add, but I will say looking at the first trailer for this um, that Netflix dropped this week, I I think it looks kind of interesting. I think it looks cool because it's like combining the aesthetic of anime and an animated show um, without looking completely cheap. I'd say like it's almost like giving me some of the vibes of like what the Wachowskis did with Speed Racer which is a mm. great movie, a great, great movie that didn't really like get its due during its time. Mm. Um, so I love the aesthetic of this. The actors look good. John Cho looks like he is just like kicking ass. This Spike <laughs> Spiegel, uh, certainly an older version of Spike, but maybe that's going to be like written to the character. Um, everybody else, like uh, Daniela Pineda, like is really, really like living that Faye Valentine life. I, I love what Mustafa Shakir is bringing to this. All I have to say is please don't suck. Uh, mm. But... Also, uh, there's going to be new music from Yoko Kano for this series. So if, if anything, if anything, we get new stuff. And I think she's a genius composer, um, not just for anime, but she's done some video game stuff and some solo stuff. So more Cowboy Bebop jazzy music from her, I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So check out this trailer. And uh, yeah, I'll stay tuned. Stay you, tuned for our thoughts on this once it premieres. It's you mentioned November the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And I just had to, yep. as an aside, be like, I've been rewatching Sense8. It's just so good, too. So anyway. Sense8's so good. 
Oh, Sense8 is, is so, so good. good. I mean, I need a good and cry maybe, to just go to that. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a good thing to watch, like as we get up to the Matrix Resurrections, which mm-hmm. is still coming this year. Um, very exciting. I yes, love them very, so I'm, much. I'm, I'm still very bummed. If anyone powerful at Netflix somehow listens to us, I don't know, bring them back. Let them finish a, a third season the way they want to. They're busy. They're, they're both, well, also, they're both um, involved in so many other things. Half of the team, half of the team is no longer like making movies and yeah. stuff. They're, they're doing like plays. So, and also and, the budget yeah. was insane on that show. Like I get it because the they were like beautiful. shooting in so many yeah. locations. But Watch was, Sensei, everybody. So Watch um, also Cloud Atlas, which I think evokes mm. like, a very similar hey, sensibility. Hey, on that too. Yep. Yep, yep. Prepare yep. for that. Uh, the other thing I want to shout out is a show on HBO Max called The Other Two. And mm. this is a it's a comedy series about a young, like, Justin Bieber-like uh, pop star, right? Um, <laughs> and his, like, useless siblings. So wow. he has an older sister and an older brother, a failed actor and a failed dancer living in New York. And uh, this is a really funny show about them, like, trying to basically deal with their... 13 year old brothers like worldwide pop star success while also being failures in their own right i think it's really funny like the cast uh this is a show that has uh ken marino in it who i think is great and everything wanda sykes molly shannon um people people i love to see in shows and it's also like just genuinely funny like it is laugh out loud funny at times um very specific in its humor. I'd say, like, if you're a very online person, a uh, very online Twitter person, you'll probably understand the love of what they're doing in the show. Um, the show goes over also, like, um, being a young gay man in New York and showing, like, the reality of what that is, too, because uh, the brother in the situation is gay. Uh, there, It just, like, kind of does a lot. And it's also, like, just weirdly specific. One, like, running joke in the show is that uh, because the younger brother gets so famous... Uh, they end up staying in Justin Thoreau's apartment in New York. <laughs> and there's like, for New Yorkers, there's a whole like level of like, um, uh, I don't know, legend. There, there's like legendary stuff about Justin Thoreau and how he and his bros hang out in New York and like <laughs> have wild nights. So you have to be a very specific kind of like New Yorker and online person to kind of even get like why that's hilarious. Uh, I, I think it's really funny overall. The show is really good. And um yeah, I think everybody should check it out. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it, Sherlyn. So it is one of those shows that doesn't really get promoted much, but it's right there on HBO Max. So if you want like a fun, fun comedy that also like is meaningful and has great characters, check out the other two. Well, that's it for the episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter, where I'm talking about movies and Dune and all that fun stuff, and at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. If you want to send me some great examples of true crime podcasts, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes, and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Do your hentai research elsewhere.